This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, October 13th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, between lawsuit and deadlines, Transfer Warehouse trucks along. Justin Criado brings chronicles of chaos. Rural communities shift away from boom and bust and a mountain weather forecast. But first, the Bureau of Land Management plans to conduct a prescribed burn in the West End this week. If conditions allow, the BLM will burn just under 1,000 acres of land about 10 miles south of Egnar. According to the BLM, the burn will assist in maintaining forest and habitat health. Smoke may be visible in the burn area, but the BLM says most should lift and dissipate during the day. If conditions allow, the burn will complete on Saturday, October 15th. The colorful past of the transfer warehouse involves its status as a transportation hub for gold, silver, groceries, money, and even residents of this remote mountain town. But its more recent history is crossed over with deadlines, designs, redesigns, and extended approval processes, all part of Telluride Arts' effort to turn the warehouse into a space for community arts. As it reaches the final stages of those efforts, KOTO's Gavin McGough reports that hurdles remain. Since Telluride Arts first acquired the transfer warehouse in 2017, the development of a community art space in the building has been wrapped up with other projects in the neighborhood. Initially, a developer wanted to build condos in the area, something called a planned unit development, or a PUD. Telluride requires that such major developments give back to the community in some way. Executive Director of Telluride Arts, Kate Jones, says that Telluride Arts took on the responsibility of providing that public benefit. And part of the land use code requires the developer to provide a community benefit. So essentially give something back to the community in exchange for developing such a big piece of property. As Telluride Arts pledged to create a community art space at Transfer, the developer was able to complete the condos. They had been built and are already housing residents. Meanwhile, Joan says that Telluride Arts is still fundraising for its portion of the project, which involves building a performance and gallery space inside the stone walls of Transfer. We've raised now a little over $11 million. We expect the project to be in total, $20 million, and that includes all of the final finishes. The town's deadline for Telluride Arts to raise those remaining $9 million? It's actually on October 20th. That's one week away from the air date of this story. Town manager Scott Robson explains that the town has a deadline for Telluride Arts because it wants to guarantee that the public benefit is delivered in a timely manner. But as a condition of allowing the residential elements of the development to go forward first. Um, There were things like this fundraising deadline set in place, again, just to make sure that that public purpose, uh, that part of the project actually got delivered upon. While the fundraising deadline looms, the project faces another hurdle. Thomas Archiplee II, a part-time resident of Telluride who lives in one of the new condominiums next door to the warehouse, is suing Telluride Arts, the town of Telluride, in the state of Colorado over the transfer project. Jones says that there are two lawsuits. The first is in the federal courts. And it's a 
against Telluride Arts for being a private and public nuisance, which is basically making too much noise. And then the state lawsuit is against the town of Telluride, um, the approval boards, and Telluride Arts. And it's calling into question the whole PUD approvals process. Archipley declined to comment for this story. Jones explains that the lawsuits are meant to put pressure on the project as it approaches its deadlines. And these are well-understood tactics to delay a project and try to sort of spin us out of time and money and miss our deadlines, which was why we're trying very hard to meet these deadlines, because we don't want to be derailed by one individual. What if Telluride Arts cannot complete its fundraising by October 20th? Robson says that that decision is ultimately up to town council, but the deadline might have room for leniency. Well, I think this upcoming conversation with town council uh, on that issue is uh, as much a conversation as anything. I anticipate Telluride Arts will, um, you know, articulate really well um, what they've been uh, working on over the past, you know, months and years in regards to um, fundraising, and council can get a good sense of whether they feel they're um, they're at least on the right track. The transfer warehouse project is no stranger to anyone in Telluride. Its various approvals and redesigns, as well as its temporary status as an open-air music venue throughout COVID-19, are well known to all. The final building designs will close that open-air space at least partially and provide a more significant sound buffer than what exists today. Joan says that even if everyone is not a fan of the transfer plans, the process has been inclusive and rigorous. And how are we good neighbors? It's always been a big part of our planning. And we have spent, I mean, hundreds if not thousands of hours talking about this and planning. Uh, If there's a more well-vetted project in this town or in this state or anywhere, I'd like to see it. Because we have just engaged so many hours of community planning and input and then all of the approvals. And it's been a rigorous process. After its fundraising deadline next week, Telluride Arts will present on the status of the project at the October 25th town council meeting. Justin Criado was destined to write a book. It's always been in the back of my mind. You know, journal, journalists always have one great book in their bottom drawer. But when I started writing my column, The Chopping Block, three years ago, that was kind of my space to kind of write more creatively. Criado may be, for the moment, best known as the editor of the Telluride Daily Planet. But last year, he ditched his daily deadline and went back to school. There's a publishing program at Western Colorado, and it's a year long and so through that, I learned how to actually put together a book and like produce it and um, market it. Cut to now, Criado is a first-time author and the most recent writer featured in the Wilkinson Public Library's Authors Uncovered series for his book, Chronicles of Chaos. It's a collection of creative nonfiction pieces. I call them columns because they originally appeared in the Daily Planet as uh, the chopping block columns. But over the past year, I went back and revised and expanded them. You know, I made them a little spicier. You know, stuff you can't run in a family-friendly newspaper. There's 38 pieces, and they're all, I call them quick hitters, because when 
they were all produced originally on deadline, so they're timely a little bit. But when you stack them like back to back to back to back, it's pretty fast and furious. Criado says the pieces are rooted in the journalism ethos of being observant. So these pieces are like my view of the world, basically. And it's just like little random weird things that I observe. Then I could kind of, I just start with like a line or a thought. And then I just kind of write in the dark and I just kind of go with it. The stories cover three years of Criado's life and writing from 2019 to 2022. It started like pre-pandemic, right? And it was all about like whatever, nightlife and going out. And then it was like, we're isolated. We're going through it, anxiety. And then there's like, there's a little bit of something for everyone in it. So you could kind of latch on to like, I have a piece about like the festival scene. And I also work as a bar bouncer at the Buck. So there's like some pieces from like that perspective of just like observing drunks basically. Uh, But then there's also some like more personal stuff that's definitely more serious than just like kind of like the over the top, you know, fast and furious type stuff I write. But yeah, there's a little bit of something for everyone. And like, I I could tell going through it, I was like, okay, like there was like a, a, there was a point where it was like, okay, I could write about things a little bit more seriously and be more introspective with it. But for people to read the book, to see it on the shelf, isn't why Criado got into writing. I'd like to uh, start a little cult with the book. No. It's therapeutic to me. Like, I enjoy just the process. Like, by the time it's done and it's published and out in the world and people are seeing it and, you know, formulating their opinions or giving feedback, like, that's just all gravy. Like, for me, it's just like, I got to write this piece. I'm satisfied now. If someone else likes it and can connect to it, great. Authors Uncovered with Justin Criado and Chronicles of Chaos will take place at the Wilkinson Public Library on Monday, October 17th at 5.30 p.m. Mining has been an economic driver in southwest Colorado since the late 1800s. But when a local mine and power plant closed in 2017, a number of communities were forced to reimagine. Today, we're rebroadcasting a story looking at the region's effort to create a new economic future. Walk into Wild Gals Market in Nucla, Colorado, and the store is bustling. Owner Galette Corngold is doing inventory on the order that just came in when a member of the community busts through the door. She got her days mixed up and forgot people would be coming to her house for book club in a few short hours. She needs soup and bread. What? Book club today? Wild Gals is a success story for the West End Economic Development Corporation, an organization supporting small businesses like Wild Gals Market and encouraging new industry and jobs in the area, something crucial since the closure of local mines. Nucla and Wild Gals sits in Colorado's West End, a collection of communities on the West Ends of Montrose and San Miguel counties in the southwest corner of the state right on the Utah border. If you ask Dina Sheriff, the region has always been boom 
and bust. The people that came out here, if they were not the original homesteaders, they came out here as part of a mining operation or milling operation for uranium. And then when that kind of fell out of favor post-World War II, we saw a little bit of a bust then. Uranium came back a little bit in the early 80s, busted again in the 90s, and it, it's been very volatile since then. Sheriff is the executive director of the West End Economic Development Corporation, or WEEDSEE. The last bust came when the New Horizon Mine and the Tri-State Power Generation Facility closed in 2017. It's been challenging when you have a community of less than 1,000 people. You're talking 10% of your population was impacted by this. And that's just direct impact. That doesn't count the grocery stores and the gas stations and the hair salons and everything that were also impacted. According to Sheriff, about 60% of the mining workforce moved. Businesses on Main Street largely sat empty, but a group of locals in the West End did see the closure coming and created Weedsea with the aim of helping new businesses and the region weather the storm. That's everything from how to set up your books, how to hire, do you need a personnel manual, where do you find employees. We really help them try and identify every piece of their business so that they can be successful. Sheriff says Weedsea focuses on three areas of business growth entrepreneurship, value-added agriculture, and outdoor recreation and tourism. To date, Weedsea has worked with over 100 entrepreneurs in the area, with 36 of those turning into businesses. Galette Korngold, over at Wild Gals, was one of those entrepreneurs, although she didn't lose her job when the mine closed. Originally from Montreal, Canada, she and her husband moved into the area just before the pandemic and bought an old mechanic shop. Once we moved here, I realized that there was no food that I really wanted to eat in this town. And we had this great space at the front of the building, and I decided to open a food store. Wild Gals Market focuses on local, organic, and homemade goods from the region with a selection of ingredients from the international market. We have elk and other game meats. Corngold says Weedsea was integral to developing the plan for Wild Gals. I took accounting classes and business mentoring from Weedsea. And because we don't have a commercial kitchen of our own yet, and we make a lot of homemade food, we use the kitchen at Wheatsea, and that's just been the greatest resource. We love that kitchen. The West End is shifting. New businesses are opening, and broadband across the region makes remote work easy, drawing workers from across the state and country looking for a rural life. Corngold says it's an exciting time to be in the area. I feel like we're at the beginning of a renaissance here, and it's really cool to be a part of it. As that renaissance continues, the future of the region is still to be determined. But for Sheriff, she hopes the days of boom and bust are over. For her, it's all about steady, community-building growth over the long term. And Weedsy plans to be there every step of the way. Vampires awaken, zombies roam the grounds. You want to be careful wandering around a cemetery at night, but all will surely be well with a trusty guide. This week kicks off the Telluride Historical Museum's Lamplight Cemetery Tours. 
starting at the site of a man who passed away in his Fall Creek home and wrapping up at the burial site of one of the more mysterious figures resting eternally in the Lone Cone Cemetery, the tour provides an opportunity to learn the lore of those who lived and died in the Box Canyon. Tours will take place on Friday, October 14th, 21st, and 28th, starting at 7 p.m. Registration is available at telluridemuseum.org. Remember to bring a flashlight for safety and dress warmly. The leaves are turning and falling from the trees. Days are getting crisp and nights are getting longer. With fall turning towards winter, it's time for the Telluride Farmer's Market to come to a close. This week marks the final market of the season to take a stroll, eat some lunch, run into friends, and buy some produce. The final farmer's market of the season will take place on Friday, October 14th on South Oak Street from 10.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. One Western Slope state legislator is asking the U.S. District Court to impose the maximum penalty in the body brokering case against Sunset Mesa Funeral Home in Montrose. Hundreds of Colorado families were impacted by the federal crime that forced legislators to change state law. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KVNF's Lisa Young has the story. The five-year-old case against Megan Hess and Shirley Koch is coming to an end with sentencing scheduled for January 3rd. Hess and Koch pled guilty to one count of federal mail fraud, avoiding a public trial in Grand Junction. This was the largest body snatching case in American history. It occurred in Montrose. It impacted Coloradans all across the Western Slope. That state representative, Matt Soper from Delta. It included over 800 uh, dead bodies that were um, either chopped up and sold in pieces or in a uh, whole uh, to foreign countries, foreign militaries. Soper, who represents House District 54, says hundreds of victims have expressed how the crimes committed at the Montrose Funeral Home are like a second death to them. Many will never know what happened to their loved ones' remains. And the magnitude and gravity of the case on the Western Slope spurred legislators like Soper into action. This case is so huge that the General Assembly of Colorado has actually changed statute in three different places. Now in the state of Colorado, licensing for a funeral home must be separate from licensing of an anatomical or donation agency. In the case of Sunset Mesa, Hess and Koch operated their mortuary and donor services in the same building. Soper led the way to making the abuse of a corpse a Class 6 felony in Colorado. Prior to Sunset Mesa, it was a misdemeanor. Had the felony law been in place, Hess and Koch could have faced upwards of 80 years in prison if convicted. Colorado legislators also made it unlawful for a person to own more than 10% direct or indirect interest in a funeral establishment or crematory while simultaneously owning more than a 10% direct or indirect interest in a non-transplant tissue bank. More recently, Soper, a Republican, teamed up with Representative Dylan Roberts, a Democrat, to make sure that the Department of Regulatory Affairs, or DORA, can inspect a mortuary upon request or following a complaint. Five times state regulators showed up and five times they were told, no, you can't come onto our property. But if they had been a restaurant or a hairdresser or any other uh, regulated uh, business, 
they wouldn't have been able to refuse a door investigation. Because the Sunset Mesa case involved a raid and investigation by the FBI, Soper is advocating making the abuse of a corpse a felony under federal law. This case had to be carried out by the FBI because so many of the bodies were in foreign countries or other states. Following the crimes committed at Sunset Mesa Funeral Home, many West Slope families are making unusual requests of funeral homes and cremation providers. I was at a funeral recently and the family wanted the full casket opened up to make sure it was their loved one in full before being closed and lowered into the the grave and buried. And that would not have happened before the Sunset Mesa atrocity. The the other change that I've heard uh, locally from different uh, funeral directors is that they will have families that will come and say, I want to see the body go into the furnace uh, when it's being cremated. Despite the Montrose case involving the dismemberment of bodies, selling body parts or whole bodies to body brokers, the case falls under the catch-all of federal mail fraud. It's, uh, it's used often, kind of like tax evasion, to go after very bad actors in society when there's a lacking in, say, federal criminal law or where state law wouldn't have imposed a stiffer penalty. No matter where the Sunset Mesa crimes fall under the law, Soper maintains a strong stance on gaining the maximum 20-year penalty for Hess and Koch this January. I just uh, feel so strongly that uh, 20 years should be the sentence of the maximum just because of the uh, gravity of the crimes committed, the number of victims involved. The fact that most crimes don't result in legislation changing. This crime has resulted in three bills uh, changing law, and there's still probably two or three more um, changes to law that are going to be made to address this particular crime. And that when, when you have this happen, that warrants the maximum penalty that is under law. For KVNF, I'm Lisa Young. The Interior Department announced on Wednesday new funding to address water scarcity in the West. KUNC's Alex Hager reports $4 billion from the Inflation Reduction Act is headed to the Colorado River Basin. Some of the money will be used to pay farmers and ranchers to temporarily pause water use in California and Arizona. That water will go back into reservoirs strained by climate change and steady demand. Alex Funk studies water policy at the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. It's a big deal, but I think it's only a big deal if we make this $4 billion count. I think crystal balling here a little bit, I don't think we're going to see something of this scale of an investment to like address this problem again anytime soon. Funk says he's encouraged by investments in long-term drought protection, like the $500 million set aside to make water systems more efficient in Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, and New Mexico. I'm Alex Hager. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for clear skies tonight with a low in the mid-30s. Friday should be sunny during the day and clear at night with a high near 60 degrees and a low around 40. Saturday expects sunny skies with a high near 60 degrees. Saturday night calls for partly cloudy skies with a low in the mid-30s. This has been the news for Thursday, October 13th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. Join us October 16th, Sunday. Come one, come all, come join us. And we'll write until we can't. We'll laugh, we'll cry, we'll ponder, and we'll share, or not, until we're spent. You are a poet. 
you just don't know it. But come with us to show it. We know you will not blow it. We're all friends here, so leave your nerves at home and bring an open mind so together we can grow. At Telluride Arts headquarters on Main Street. Hello, Kodo listeners. Do you have a child age eight years old or younger? If so, join Bright Futures and Wilkinson Public Library every other Tuesday for a free parent support group. Upcoming meetings are on October 11th, October 25th, November 8th, and November 22nd. We will meet in the library's magazine room from 1130 to 1230. Parenting is hard, and this group is judgment-free and full of empathy. Kids are welcome, and snacks will be provided. See you at the library. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Koto. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.